It was Moses that the Lord spoke to and said, I need you to go for me, and I need you to say certain things. For surely he had heard the cry of his people, he said, and surely he knows their sorrow, and surely he knows their grief. One of the great things about our God is that he knows all about us that everything that we do and everything that we are and everything that we, we say, God is attached to our whole life. He's a part of our life. And He wants to live with you and abide with you. He wants to have relationship with you. In fact, the most wonderful thing in the world is that we can know God and God can abide in us. Abide in us. He abides in people who have been brought into right relationship with him, who have been washed in the blood of Jesus, who have sins been forgiven, whose lives have been changed by the great power of God, and they have become part of the kingdom, translated out of the power of darkness, delivered from the power of darkness, Colossians 3, and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, the Bible talks about Isaiah as being the gospel of Isaiah, many theologians would say, because there's a lot of, here's your word, Christological. There is a lot of Christological evidence in the book of Isaiah. In other words, there are many instances when the context is about Jesus coming to the earth and the Christ, the Messiah. It is Isaiah that said, for unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom and his increase there shall be no end. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We owe that to Isaiah. He's the one that said that thousands of years before Mary went to the well and met the angel that said, you're going to have a baby. So Isaiah was a prophet. You might call him a messianic prophet because he prophesied many things about Jesus and that he would uh, be great. And the Bible said that in Isaiah, he said, he shall be a comfort for the people of Israel. He shall be a gift of God from uh, God would give to Israel for uh, a plan of salvation. Turn to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. While you're doing that, I'll pray. Father, we thank you for this time today to, in your word. Thank you for the privilege to gather around the table of the Lord. And we thank you, God, for a prophet who thousands of years ago saw into the future to a time when God would bring redemption and would bring salvation to his people. Now, I ask you now, O Lord, to bless our time together, and may we truly uh, understand and comprehend the depth and the riches of the glorious gospel of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Isaiah 12, verse 1, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Do you, do you see compassion in that? Do you understand that God is a just God, and he becomes uh, ill with us, the writer here said angry with us when we disobey him, when we do things that we've covenanted with him that we would not do, when we act in ways that aren't really 
uh, a good advertisement for Christian faith. He says, God becomes angry with us. But he said, thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me. The motive for the Lord changed in that he no longer chastened and he became a comfort to us. Now, the Bible tells us that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Whom the Lord cares about. And that means that he can be angry with you, but he doesn't stop loving you. Amen. Anger and, and love are two strong emotions. And God can be angry with us for things we've done in transgression, but he can also never stop loving us because his love is unconditional. And when his anger and his wrath are turned away, he assumes that comforting role of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one that comes alongside us. The, here's your word, parakletos, one who comes alongside of. That is what the Holy Spirit is, uh, Cindy. It is the Spirit of God that comes alongside us. No matter what we're doing or where we're going or what we're involved in, the Holy Spirit is a companion. He is one who goes with us, comes alongside us, and provides us comfort and peace in times of distress. Second verse says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Is God your salvation this morning? Those of you that are watching online, ask yourself, is God my salvation? Is God my deliverer? Is God my mediator? Is God my, my advocate? Is God my companion? Is God a, a savior, a, a, a forgiving blood-washing Savior that He has cleansed and made me the God of salvation, made me Him the God of my salvation. I will trust, therefore, and I'll not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah, Adonai, Jehovah, is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. David prayed, and he said, Lord, restore unto me my sin is ever before me. When I lay down at night, he said, I am wretched until the day dawns. All night long I am full of turning, tossing to and fro, and are tormented by my sin. He prayed and said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That lets me know there's something to rejoice about. In this thing we call salvation, the fact that God is our, our salvation and we put our trust in Him, there's joy in knowing that. Now, the Bible tells us that we will draw water. That next verse says, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. To know that God's got some wells somewhere that the water that flows out of those wells brings salvation. Wasn't it Jesus who said to the woman at the well, if you drink of the water that I shall give you, you will never thirst again? Amen. He said this water 
it, it is to be diminished. Every time you draw some out, there's less of it in it. But he said, if you drink the water I give you, you will never thirst again. That well will never run dry, and you can take a bucket load out of it anytime you want to, and it is no more the less because it cannot run dry. God's well of salvation causes us to have joy. Joy, therefore with joy shall I draw water out of the well. Wow, you mean I'm involved in that process? Yeah, he's the source. He's the source, and it's available to you, and there's an invitation to come and drink. Hold ye all that are athirst, let him come and drink of the fountain of the water of life freely. Praise God. Isn't that a great verse? The Bible said there is a, a well, a place of refreshment that is prepared in the house of David. In other words, Jesus then would be of the house and the lineage of David, and that's exactly how it came about. In that day you shall say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name and declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Have you ever noticed how much Brother Ford says, Can somebody praise the Lord with me? Give the Lord another praise in this house. He often does that. And this verse tells us, don't you remember that the Lord has done great things among his people? Call on his name, declare his doings, make mention that his name is exalted. His name is exalted. Praise ye the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. His praise, as they sing, shall continually be in my mouth. Why? Because I've got his water, and it's in my heart, and it's in my life, and it refreshes me, and it sustains me. Praise God. What water does to the human body, that's what the spirit of salvation does for every one of us. Praise God. That's a powerful statement. This name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things, and this is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout. Now, I, I looked at that word, and in Hebrew, it means holler. In Greek, it means sh shriek. Woo! That's a shriek. Pentecostals get criticized for shrieking. Why everybody holler, woo, for Praise God. Well, the Bible said, Know ye not that the name of the Lord is exalted. Amen. And it says, Cry out to him and shout. Amen. In other words, church is supposed to be a noisy place. Now, let me tell you, your racket don't make God nervous. He is not plagued with nerve issues. Praise God. In fact, the Bible said he inhabits the praises of his people. Shout to the Lord. Cry out unto the Lord. Give honor, give praise, and give glory to the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous flee into it, and they are saved. Did you say saved? 
You mean there's salvation to be celebrated in the house of God? You mean there's a tower called the name of God that we rejoice and praise him? Cry out and shout to the Lord, amen, and praise his name. Praise is always in order for the Lord. Sing unto the Lord, he's done great things that's known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. In the midst of thee. You mean God's salvific work is evidence of his presence in us and with us? Yes, the fact that you're sitting here professing salvation. Then that you have said that he is my light and my salvation, the strength of my life. I live because there's water in a well that I draw from that sustains me and refreshes me. Salvation is of the Lord. In that text that we just read, salvation occurs three times. The Greek word is sotir, and it means salvation. There's a study of salvation that's called soteriology. You'd learn that probably in seminary, probably in New Testament, because in the New Testament we find out God's plan for introducing the church uh, because his plan for challenging the church to go out and be a witness for him in the earth carrying this message of salvation, that Jesus died for the lost. In fact, the, the Bible said that when Jesus was teaching in the temple and they came and found him, the Bible said he was teaching the way of salvation. He was explaining and teaching the way of salvation. You mean there's a way? Old-timers used to testify, and they'd say, I'm proud tonight to say I'm still in this way. I got in this way a long time ago. I started on this way when I was but a boy, you'd hear them say. What are they talking about? The way of salvation. Because the way of salvation is a, a traveling route that we take. Amen. And Jesus said, there's two ways. He said, there's a broad way. And that broad way will take you somewhere you don't want to go. But he said there's another way, way of salvation. There's another way, and he said it's called a narrow way. And it's got a straight gate. And he said, few there be that find it. And it will take you to eternal life. He said, now the other road, the broad road, he said, there's two roads, there's two travelers, there's two destinations. Got that? But Jesus said, if you're traveling on that broad road, you'll have a lot of company because many, many, the few and the many, few on the narrow, many on the broad, in the ways of living our lives. And you're either on one or the other. Well, I don't remember when I got on the broad road. Brother Jay, you didn't have to remember that. You was born that way. All of us were born with the broad way as our, our traveling road. But there came a time, praise God, when you had an option. And you had an opportunity. 
that you could get off of that broad road and you could get on that narrow road. And the Bible said it would take you to heaven. It would take you to eternal life with the Lord Jesus. Salvation has been called the new birth, born again, justified, saved, redeemed, all meaning that we have had that encounter with God where we trusted what Jesus did at Calvary's cross as sufficient payment in full for the sin debt in our life. It meant that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together with Christ and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come we might show the exceeding richness of his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved by faith, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not obtained by works righteousness, but salvation is uh, acquired by grace through faith. Salvation is the gift of God. Salvation is the reward of those who seek him, not a thing that we will receive someday. It is a pr present possession Amen. It's not, not something you, well, one of these days I'm going to be saved. When I get to heaven, no, that's not right. You need to get saved now in order to go to heaven. Salvation is, is now. Today is the day. Now is the time. The Bible said, seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, the Bible says. And he said, if you'll seek me, you'll find me. If you knock, I'll answer. I'll, I'll open up and come in. If you inquire, ask, you'll receive. If you'll just put forth the effort, amen. The well is there, but you've got to put the bucket in. The money's there, but you've got to write the check. God has made provision for you. It's there. It's there for every woman. It's there for every boy. It's there for every girl. Every person of Adam's race, the deposit has been made for everybody. Glory to God. What that means is you can walk up to any person and say, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. The Bible said, but this man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. There will never be another Calvary. There'll never be another Pilate's Judgment Hall. There'll never be another Gethsemane. There'll never be another Golgotha. Why? Because it has been one t once and for all taken care of. There's no further mitigation. There's no further negotiation. God has accepted what Jesus did as payment in full for our sins. And the Bible tells us that there is so much that Jesus did in the redemptive provision. He said if you could write it down in a book, all the libraries of the world put together would not contain all that Jesus did and all that Jesus said. 
Are you kidding me? All the libraries of the world, the Library of Congress, the Library of the British Empire, all the libraries, the law, law office, the, all of their archives and all the li library books and the volumes of the codes and uh, wouldn't even contain, not any library, all of them put together can't hold what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Wow, that just made me feel real good right down where I'm supposed to feel good at. To know that if, if Jesus is that well-versed, then my Lord, why do I have to worry that anybody is going to confound him? If anybody is going to figure out something or put a, put a problem out there that he can't solve or that anybody is going to bring a difficulty that he can't get through, or that somebody's going to present a circumstance that he doesn't have the answer. I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus, hallelujah, he is omniscient. He, he is omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present at one time. He's with us here. He's in Birmingham. He's in Chattanooga. He's up in Cleveland. He's over in Knoxville. He's over in Jackson. He's even in New Orleans where the hurricane is. You mean Jesus doesn't uh, evacuate? No. When storm clouds rise, lightning flash, and thunders roll, Jesus doesn't check out. He says, I'm with you for all the way. I'm with you for the end. I'm with you for the totality of it. I didn't get in this race with you to let you down or let you flunk out or put some other thing in place. I've, got, I've joined myself to you to get you to the finish line. And he said, I'm committed that what I started in you, I'm going to finish it. What he's saying is, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to be responsible for getting you to heaven. Praise God. Well, there's not a demon in hell that can do anything to subtract from what Jesus does. There's no demon, there's no devil, and there's no imp in hell that can come against Jesus and be victorious in any way. He has won for us an everlasting victory, the Bible says. Salvation brings you out of something, but it also brings you into something. Salvation brings you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Salvation brings you out of sinful relationship to a saved and a covenant relationship. Salvation can take you where you're a stranger and can make you a citizen. Salvation can take you where you're estranged and you're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel can make you a, a, a member of the household of God, a holy temple fitly framed together. The Lord's grace and the Lord's salvation can bring you out. It brought Israel out of bondage and brought them into a promised land. It brought Jonah out of the whale. It brought David out of the pit. It brought Paul out of a lost condition. It brings every sinner out of 
darkness and into the light of God. It brought Peter out of prison. Brought Lazarus out of the grave. Brought Daniel out of the lion's den. Brought the Hebrew boys out of the furnace. It brought Lazarus out of the tomb. It brought John off the Isle of Patmos. Salvation will bring you out. Yes, but I'm addicted to drugs so bad, Pastor. That doesn't matter. He'll bring you out. But I've been such a slave to alcoholism all of these years, but he'll bring you out. Well, I've done so many terrible things, I'm embarrassed to even tell you how sorry and low down I've been. He'll bring you out. I've mistreated my family. I've been such an embarrassment to my family. He'll bring you out. How is it, Pastor, you can point at everybody and tell everybody that no matter what they've done or where they've been or what an embarrassment or failure they have been in the past, salvation can bring them out. You see, I could stand here and tell you about great preachers that at one time were terrible people that were thieves and liars and cutthroats and gamblers and God turned their life around in their preaching and pulpits today. I could show you people who were of such derelict character that you wouldn't want to know anything about them or where they are or what they do or what they're kin to. You wouldn't care to know. But I can tell you what happened when they met Jesus and he turned their life around and they became a new creature in Christ Jesus. When God saved me, he took me out of the darkness into his marvelous light. But he started leading me into something. Number one, he led me into holiness. Holiness? Now, boy, you've really gone from uh, one part of salvation to another. You mean there's supposed to be a change in me that you told me what he delivered me from, but what is he taking me to? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. So then holiness is not a denomination. I'm not offended when people call me a holiness preacher. I know they probably mean I'm a Pentecostal. They've got their terminology mixed up. But I'm not offended by a Pentecostal preacher either. I boldly declare that I am Pentecostal. Boldly declare that I am holiness. I believe in the holiness experience. I agree with the Methodist on that. Are you kidding me? Yes, sanctification is synonymous with holiness. Sanctification is a Methodist idea. John Wesley, Charles Wesley, brothers, preached revivals in this country, established churches, rode horses, and preached throughout communities, carrying this message of salvation. But they also preached a second definite work of grace that they called sanctification. Now, I've not checked recently to find out what Methodists believe, but I, I do know what their founder believed. And you can attach that experience of what he called the holiness movement. In fact, there was a holiness movement before there was a Pentecostal movement. 
There was a healing movement before there was a Pentecostal movement. Are you kidding me? Yeah, 1906 at Azusa Street, there was a great revival that took place there, and, and leaders went out from there and established Pentecostal churches, all the major denominations today of that are Pentecostal, Church of God, Church of God of Prophecy, Church of the Foursquare Gospel, Assembly of God, all of those, United Pentecostal, all of them, all had their roots and their beginning from right there in Azusa Street in 1906. Amen. So accompanying salvation, there are things that accompany salvation. And one of them is to live a holy life. Now when God saves you, He gets you off the wrong road. When He sanctifies you, He's getting you on the right road, helping you to know how to live, helping you to know how to, how to walk and how to talk and how to, how to conduct yourself. That's all what holiness is. Holiness is not a denomination. What are you saying? I'm saying if you've got to have it to see God, you better get it. That's as simple as I can make it. If you've got to have it to see God, then you better get it. Holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. You see, sometimes we get so swung the pendulum from the other direction that we become uh, legalistic and we start, start making uh, mandatory things in and, and an effort to make us all cookie cutter. We're never going to be cookie cutters. What do you mean cookie cutter? Every one of us just alike. That's not going to happen. We tried it one time for a long time, lots of years. And there was even the practice for a long time of folks that we thought was not living holy. We excommunicated them. Because you broke some rules. Boy, it's quiet in this house. You see, God has a standard of living, and His standard is holiness. I had a young preacher once taking an exam in a state office, and somehow I was on the board. One of them couldn't come that day as when I was youth director in Ohio. And there was a young guy there, and on the Declaration of Faith, the seventh article of the Declaration says, we believe holiness to be God's standard of living for his people. Well, I asked him, I said, would you talk for just a minute about, about your conception of holiness? He said, it's God's standard of living for his people. And I said, I know that, I understand that, but what is God's standard? He said, holiness. I said, well, now you're chasing your tail around in a circle right now. Tell me what you're talking about. You see, holiness is a condition of heart. Just like worldliness is a condition of heart. The Bible said if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you've got such a connection to this present evil world that you just can't live without doing things that worldlings do, then you don't have the love of God in your heart. And I didn't say that. I, I don't write this stuff. I'm just telling you what it says. It says this, that without a condition of heart, 
that is pure. Blessed are the pure in, in heart. So Jesus just went to the heart of the matter, and he said, your heart has to be right with God. Now, I found out over the years, if you get a man's heart right, he'll live right. You won't clap for that? And I know that's touchy subject matter right through there, but we need to understand. God said, be ye holy, for I, your God, am holy. The Bible tells us, wherefore put away lying all and all malice and all strife and all evil speaking, putting, putting away those things. He said, and put on the cloak of righteousness. Take off and put on. Take off the things that are malicious and are hurtful and mean-spirited. Say amen, that's good preaching. That kind of stuff. But, but you, do you know you'll find that kind of stuff in churches? And the book of James says, bless, bless the Lord, those things ought not so to be. He said, a spring won't give forth bitter water and sweet water at the same time. He said, you won't get poison water and sweet drinking water out of the same well. What's he saying? He's saying you can't come in here and praise God on Sunday and have a cuss fight with your neighbor before you go to bed that night. That's what he's saying. In other words, it's a matter about the practical things, how you live, and you live from the inside out. You know, God can't change the things around you like you want him to until he changes the things that are in you. And if he can get your heart into such a condition that you would say, blessed are the pure in heart, oh, God, help us to reach that place where we are pure in heart. Help us to reach that place. That road is taking us. Salvation is taking us there. Salvation is so important. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Romans 6 and 4. Here's a good one. You got a little time for this? Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Change, Romans 7 and 6. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Wow. Praise God. Salvation will alter your life. Salvation will change your attitude. Salvation will change your outlook. Salvation will change your personality. One mark of true repentance unto salvation is a drastically changed life. Colossians 3, 7, in the, which ye also walked sometime when ye lived that way. But now, somebody say, when and now. 
when I was a sinner, now that I am a Christian. When I was lost, now I'm found. When I was blind, now I see. You getting the when and now? The when and now, he said, when, which you walked sometimes when you lived that way. But now ye also put off all these things. In other words, you shed that. My daddy used to say, get shed of it. But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Why? Because it don't look good on you. You don't wear that well. It's not your color. It don't look like God. It don't favor the family. Glory to God. Lie not one to another, verse 9. In other words, don't be hypocritical. Don't play games. Don't beat around the bush. Be genuine. Be real. Seeing that ye have put off the old man with all of his deeds. I think we could have a revival if that would happen, don't you? I think we'd have a great revival, Cindy, if we could just do that. Put off all of our old things that make us not look like Jesus and could put on the things that make me look like Jesus and start walking in that way. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, taken off the old man, put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. There has to be that difference. Colossians 1.13, he delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us. And every person who knows the worth of salvation, there is a desire in that person to serve the Lord. Over the years, we become lethargic, and we become so familiar with sacred things that we're not as diligent as we used to be about serving the Lord. If you're not very careful, you'll become so familiar with sacred things that you'll become lethargic and dilatory. I'll tell you another place that salvation will take you, it'll take you to the house of God. When you get saved, there's something about being saved. You want to be around somebody else that's saved. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's throne above, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. What is that saying? That's saying that when you get saved, it means that when you put on this garment that looks like Jesus and you start speaking and acting and conducting yourself in a way that becometh righteousness, then there is this joy that is unspeakable. There's this peace that passes all understanding. There's this power that is within you. And there's this love that is within you to be among God's people and you just love singing and you just love the event of going to church. Well, I think that's good. 
I think it's good that if your heart is cleansed and you're saved, Jesus, you see, he, where he is adored and where he's lifted up, that's where saved people find joy and peace. Brother, I've felt the peace of God in a lot of strange places because I was assembled with some believers. Believers. When I got off the plane, or Debbie got off the plane Friday, she'd been on Facebook and she'd found a chest of drawers by a certain name, by a certain company, and it was over in an area off of Crestview over in Birmingham. And I said, listen, you just got home. Before you hunt somewhere to go shopping, let me get you at least back to the house so you can get in your car and go. Oh, no, it's just a, a 10 minutes from here. I've already checked it out. I've already Googled it. They're, they're 10 minutes from here. 10 minutes. We drove through some of the worst-looking places over there. You've been over there with me, Don, in some of that area, Centerport Point, not that way, uh, over toward Crestview. We used to go that way when the roads was all tore up. You remember that out First Avenue North? She calls this, like, I can't find the place. I drove up and down the road, went by it two or three times. Finally, finally, I, I, I said, call the woman. Well, she called the lady, and uh, what did you say her name was? Sarah? We come to find out she was from Istanbul. She was Turkish. And I thought, well, my Lord. And we drove by what used to be a pretty Baptist church over there, and it, it said some name I can't even call on the front of it, but it wasn't a Baptist church anymore. So we started pulling. I said, Debbie, where have you taken me? She said, you're mad, ain't you? And I said, yes, 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 I am mad. And she told this lady, she said, we're trying our best to find you. We're, we're close by, and we're trying to get there. She said, said uh, oh, said, my husband's a, a preacher, and... and uh, we, we pastor a church, and, and uh, I, I'm saved, and I, I know the Lord Jesus, and we're just trying to find it. And she said, oh, you're a believer. We'll knock $50 off the chest. You're a believer. Oh, my Lord, we love believers. Hey, you mean there's joy, there's happiness and peace when you get together with a person that is a believer. Hey, you can meet a total stranger, and if you know Jesus and that person knows Jesus, you got something to talk about. You can come upon someone that you've never seen before, don't even know them from Hogan's Goat, but if you know Jesus, you can start talking about the Lord, and immediately they'll jump in the conversation. Well, let me tell you what he did for me. Well, let me tell you what he brought me out of. Let me tell you when he healed my body. Let me tell you when he touched me and supplied my need. Let me, let me touch. Whoa, glory to God. Hey, 
Believers love believers. And the Bible said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple by the love that you have one for another. Friend, if you've got an experience that doesn't make you want to go to God's house, then check up on that experience. Salvation will take you to the house of God. It'll take you to harvest. Not this church. I'm talking about the harvest. You'll go to work for God. It'll cause you to win, win people unto the Lord. Jesus never called us to be lazy. He called us to be busy, letting our light shine for him. And he talked about a harvest, and he said it's plenteous, and it's ripe, and it's white. It's ready to gather. Pray ye therefore that the Lord will send laborers into the harvest because the harvest is plenteous, but laborers are so few. How the Lord needs laborers. Come on, Olivia, and help me quit. Got one more place where it'll take you. It'll take you to the house of God. It'll take you to the harvest. Last, it'll take you to heaven. The Bible said this, Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in him. Oh, glory to God. Well, what's that saying? That, that means I'm looking for Jesus to come someday. I'll ever keep singing along my way. And when the heavens unfold, I'll walk on streets of pure gold. I'm looking for Jesus to come someday. Brother, if you've got salvation in your heart, you're looking for Jesus. Brother, if you've been saved by Calvary's Lamb, then you're looking for the Lord to appear in the clouds. Amen. And you see things right now in this world that is pointing us directly to the fact that we're nearing the coming of the Lord. I believe it more than I've ever believed it in all of my life. I see things shaping up, and I see tribulation clouds gathering. I see everything that is coming to a head. I can see how this world would accept a one-world dictator. I can see how this world would accept a one-world currency. I can see how every human being on the face of the earth can be numbered. I can see that. Hey, that's happened in my lifetime. There's currency already printed, already stacked up from one world bank. Hey, this thing is a lot further on down the road than you think it is. Well, that scares me, Pastor. Well, don't get scared. If you're saved, that shouldn't scare you. If you've got salvation in your heart, the Bible said, look up. When you see all of these things, look up because your redemption draweth nigh. What does that mean? That means that the Lord is soon coming. And that them that look for him. Oh, glory to God. 1 John 3, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now that we have been made the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You believe heaven is real, Brother Jerry? 
As much as I know who I am, heaven is real. Heaven is real. Heaven is real. You know, some say, let me get my communion. Some say, talk about going to heaven. Well, the most that will probably stay in heaven by any account would be seven years. While they're going through a tribulation period down here on the earth, praise God, there's going to be a wonderful transition take place in heaven. We're going to eat a marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to have judgment of rewards. We're going to have a lot of time to sing and give honor and glory that is so loud it sounds like thunder. John said, I heard it. It went, lulululululululu. Said it echoed all over heaven. That thunder was so loud. And he said, I asked him. I asked one of the attendants at the throne. I said, what is this? And, and who are these people? He said, these people are they that have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and have made them white. Made them white. God said, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And then there's what is called a second coming. A second coming. The rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints is not the second coming. The second coming is when we come back with the Lord. Revelation 19 and 11. And I saw the heavens open, John said. And I saw a horse. A white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And out of his mouth there went a sharp two-edged sword to smite the nations. And upon his thigh there was a name that was written that only he knew himself. And it said he was called faithful and true. Faithful and true. And it said, and the armies of heaven followed him. Wow. Wow. Brother Jerry, I've never rode a horse. One of these days you're going to ride one. I'm not much of an equestrian, but one of these days you're going to ride one. And don't worry, the Lord will show you how probably. And when we get back to heaven and we get back to this earth riding white horses and have the battle of Gog and Magog, then John said, I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Glory to God. And he said that city was 1,500 miles square. Lord, that's from about Philadelphia down to Jacksonville and out to about Phoenix and up to about Spokane on the four quarters. 1,500 miles square. And he said it has 12 foundations. That means there's 12 stories. 12 levels. I'm going to make all you ladies happy right now because you won't be want to be on the first floor. He said the first floor is of solid diamond. Look at these women smiling. 
Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Yeah, I know. All of those different jewels, jacinth and amethyst, sardonyx, sardius, fiery red. Sardius is fiery red. Emerald, that, that's gr a greenish cast. Burl, that's a sea green color. All those different colors in that city. Each foundation has a different color. Twelve foundations, twelve different colors. Twelve different gems. Wow. And the gate of that city is of solid pearl. And I, he said, and the righteous shall walk there. And shall go in and out. Hallelujah. Blessed be God. They used to sing a song when I was a kid. Sam, it said, Lord, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. No, he's not going to build a cabin on all that diamond and all of that jacinth and amethyst and sardius and sardonyx, nimbrel and burl. No. He's going to build a place that's far better than that. Well, is it a mansion? Well, let's see what the Lord said in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many... It should have been translated rooms. Are many rooms. I don't know whether it's a mansion or not. And Jesus said this, I go to prepare a place. He didn't say mansion. He said a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, where I am, where I am, where Jesus is, where the Savior is, where the Lord is, that where I am, there you may be also. What a blessing that is to know, isn't it? What a blessing. Well, all of that began with a, a crucifixion, and it started with a table started with a place where the Lord Jesus was gathered with his disciples in what is called an upper room. And in that upper room, there were disciples that were gathered. And Jesus took the bread and he said, This is the bread. It is my body which is broken for you. Take ye and eat. In like manner also he took the cup and he said, This is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for you. Drink ye all of it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And he said, As oft as you drink this cup and you eat this bread, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. This do in remembrance of me. I'm so proud I got on the way of salvation, aren't you? 
I'm so glad that salvation became a reality in my heart. I'm so glad that I know, that I know, that I know in my knower today that He lives in my heart. If I didn't know that today, you'd have a job praying with me in this altar before I would leave here today. Stand with me, please. Following Jesus, following Jesus, salvation, following Jesus. I oft complained to Jesus how folks were treating me. I told him about the things of this life that had bowed me to my knees. He said to me, My feet were oh so weary Upon that Calvary road That cross became so heavy I fell beneath the load Be faithful, weary pilgrim The morning I can see I'll lift my cross and follow close to Thee. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for letting us be in this house today. Thank You for us knowing that salvation and pardon is full and free. Thank You for reminding us of the great price of our redemption. Lord, don't ever let us act in any kind of way that would dismiss or take away from what Jesus did at Calvary for us. Lord, go with us now from this place of worship to our homes and our families and our workplace tomorrow. And may we be a light and be an advertisement for the cross so that people will see in us the life of the Lord Jesus. May your comfort of the Holy Spirit go with us all. God, I wouldn't close this prayer without asking you to touch all that are sick, all that are oppressed. Your word says that you're touched by the feeling of our infirmity. God, there's so many this morning that are desperate for a touch. Their life is hanging in the balances today. But God, I know that you are the Prince of Life. And you've walked into the chamber of death many times and brought someone out. I pray that you do that, O oh Lord, for these people, Lord, that are on such dire straits today. Help them, God. Keep all of your people safe from harm and danger, God. Put a hedge of protection around our people, Lord, here at this church. I thank you for the way you've protected us and helped us and blessed us. And I ask you, God, to keep your hand of protection upon us and guide us and direct us, O oh Lord, in your will and your purpose. Dismiss us now in your care. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.